chapter 6. Yeah, I went to, went to physical therapy this week, and uh, physical therapist said, uh, you're in a very dangerous position because your shoulder is doing so well, you've got to be careful not to use it. So uh, that's why I'm still going to be shaking handed left hand for, left handed for, shaking hands left handed for a while here. So, but I'm um, feeling good and uh, tr- thanking the Lord for uh, all of his blessings. Uh, this uh, last uh, Thursday night, Sue and I uh, got invited, along with all the other really important people, <laughs> to go to the, the VIP grand opening of the Safeway store. Yeah, they, as we walked in, they, they're looking at her name and whatever, and, and they're kind of thinking, why are you here? <laughs> because we got an invite, that's why we're here. We could have whined and dined, but we just dined and uh, ate little bits of this and little bits of that and, uh, and uh, marveled at the, at the store shelves. This, this is not from the Safeway store, but... but it dawned on me after I was walking around for a while how perfect everything looked. I mean, every shelf was completely full and faced, and, and the, the deli, uh, the, in the deli case, they had all of those salads, um, and they were perfectly heaped up, and everything was just gorgeous, and, and I thought, my, I want to buy some groceries. Come on. <laughs> See, a grocery store is not a museum, and it's not a gallery. It's not so you can look at beautiful rows or, or beautiful images of food. It's to buy food and to take it home. And, and everything looks so good, I definitely wanted to buy. When you go to the grocery store, you don't normally think about the imperfections. You don't think about the imperfections in the merchandising, the fact that there's an empty space here or there, because you're thinking, Where is the syrup, and where is this, and where is that? And you're just getting stuff because the purpose of the grocery store is to provide food for your table. As we work our way through 1 Corinthians 6, what Paul is going to talk in very significant terms about is the purpose of our body. It has a great deal to do with living righteously. We need to understand what our body is for. The Corinthians appear to be, have been ignoring that or somehow separating the body and soul in a way to say, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. We're going to understand as we start into this next section of 1 Corinthians 6, this very important truth. The lack of restraint does not produce personal freedom. In our country, that's, if you turn that around, that's what people think. If I could have a complete lack of restraint, then I would be perfectly free. And in fact, just the opposite is true, and we're going to learn that as we work through this passage. Today, we're just going just to start on the beginning of it, but let's read it from 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 12. Follow as I read, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 
And God both raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The, the Corinthian believers, as we begin this passage here, verse 12, it appears that, that the Corinthian believers had picked up a phrase that Paul must have used in his teaching. And they said this phrase, all things are lawful for me. And it appears that he's quoting it back to them and then adding some things to it. We want to think a minute about Paul's teaching. We don't know for, a, for an absolute fact everything that he taught the Corinthians, but we can look at the other epistles and see the truth that he taught as he went from church to church. <clears throat> it's important for us to understand that Paul was raised as a young man, as a child, all the way up through his younger adult years. He was raised under the first covenant, what we call the Old Testament, the, the law that regulated life for Israel. He was raised on it, especially those first five books, and he gives this testimony about that raising. If anybody thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He was Jewish. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. I don't know if you've read the law, all 626 commandments. He says concerning the righteousness which was in the law, he was blameless. The apostle Paul knew the law, he lived the law, he enforced the law. He knew it backwards and forwards, and he was zealous for it, like the Pharisees were, to the point of blindness toward Christ. He loved the law, he lived the law, he enforced the law, until the day he met Christ. And then his testimony changed from what we just read to this. But the things that were gained to me, were valuable to me, the the places I had risen to that were important to me, I have counted them as loss and nothing for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish or garbage, that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. The Apostle Paul was raised under the Old Testament law with all of the regulations about private life and corporate worship. He was raised under that. He lived under that. He excelled under that. And then he met Christ. And when he met Christ, 
he learned what it meant to be free from all of those regulations. Now, I understand the moral will of God hasn't changed from the Old Testament to the New. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being free from all of those ritualistic regulations. If I could be so mundane as just to say he was now free to eat pork. What a great day. He was free not to have to wear certain items of clothing. He was free from the guilt of never quite measuring up. Because the book of Hebrews says that 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 Old Testament law couldn't cleanse the conscience. And so he, he went with his sacrifice. He did the things that were required, but he knew in himself that it wasn't enough. And so when Christ got a hold of him, he knew what it was to be free from all of that regulation, and it was his joy to teach that freedom to other people. Here's an, a piece out of Galatians where he's teaching about that freedom. For as many as are under the works of the law, that Old Testament system, are under the curse, for, is it, for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things that are written in the book of the law to do them. He's saying nobody keeps the law perfectly, and I have no doubt that as he looked back from a Christian perspective, he could see his life and saying, you know, I wasn't perfect back then. And he, he realized that they were under the curse because God said if you fail to keep one command, it's like you failed to keep them all. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident for the law, the just shall live by faith. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our school teacher, to bring us to Christ that we might be made righteous by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under the tutor, under the law. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul knew what it meant to be free from all of those regulations. And this was sort of a summary principle that he gave the Galatians. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. If you know the book of Galatians, you know that what was happening there in the, in the area of Galatia where this church was that some, some Pharisee types came and said, yes, you need to believe in Christ, but you also need to keep the law. And in fact, in the keeping of law, that's how you really honor God. And Paul came along and said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Stand fast in the freedom with which Christ has made you free. Don't be entangled with that yoke of bondage. He called the Old Testament system bondage because it never cleansed the conscience. It never brought complete forgiveness. And so he said, you have the best in Christ. Why would you go back to the second best? It was Paul's joy to teach people they were not bound by the ritual laws of the Old Testament. Paul rejoiced for instance, in the value of all people. Under the Old Testament, the Jews looked down their nose on everybody else. You remember the time of Christ, how some, they called the Gentiles dogs? Paul was rejoicing in the value of all people. He accepted meals and shared meals with anyone, not just Jewish people. That's part of the new covenant. We're all equal in Christ. Paul rejoiced in his freedom to enjoy all kinds of foods because all were made by God for mankind. Paul rejoiced to be able to wear clothing of whatever sort he liked 
not just the kind prescribed by the Pharisees. Stand fast in the liberty with which Christ has made us free. Now we know Paul taught this. It's, it's, it's written throughout the New Testament. But what did the Corinthian believers hear when Paul taught this? You see, somehow he went to Corinth and taught them and what they came away with was something different than what he said. Look with me at, at chapter six, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians. They came away saying, all things are lawful for me. All things are lawful. The word, the word lawful is not a reference to the actual law of the Old Testament, it just means permissible. Everything is allowed. What did that really mean to them? What it meant was, we can do anything we want. It meant, I have no restraint on my life whatsoever. Now, does that sound like something the Apostle Paul taught? I don't think so. Now, we ought to ask the question, is it possible they just didn't know God's truth, and so Paul's going to teach it to them here for the first time? I would submit to you no, and I would do it for two reasons. First is the example we have of Paul's teaching. Do you remember this little episode from Acts chapter 20? Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul was ready to depart, and he spoke to them, and he continued his message until midnight. Now what time did the message start? Breaking bread, they came together to break bread. Um, it could have been morning, let's even assume it was evening. They put in a day's work, they came together and they had dinner and now Paul's gonna talk. And so how long was that sermon? Ooh, Pastor Dave's doesn't sound quite so bad now, does it? No! My dad went, to the other side of Vancouver Island one time and he had this Bible chart and he was gonna teach these people and he literally went all day. He went an hour and they had a coffee break, another hour, and I don't know who was more tired at the end of that, but, but listen to this. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. In other words, it was dark outside. They put a bunch of lamps and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. And he was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. That's a long sermon right there. Now, a lot of people have fallen asleep while I preach, but nobody's ever died. <laughs> oh, I'm used, I, I can usually anticipate what you're going to say, Cindy, but you caught me there. <laughs> now, here's my point. Here's my point. I don't think they came together for three points in a poem very often. I think they came together and spent hours together at a time. And do you know how long he was in Corinth? 18 months. So there would have been at least 
uh, 18 times four or five, whatever the day, you know, Sundays when they gathered, but I have no doubt that he also was out around teaching, you know, maybe they had some small groups or whatever. Corinth is a big place. I'm not, I'm not necessarily thinking there was just one congregation in Corinth. Might have been one major group with a lot of subgroups around them. So I have, you know, when we think, well, maybe the Corinthians just didn't know, I, I find that hard to believe. He had been there. And then the other clue for me is in this passage, verses 12 through 20, do you see this little phrase here? Do you not know? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you think he would have taught for 18 months and never said the ungodly are going to hell? Of course not. That's what this means when he says, do you not know? That's his way of saying, hello, do you remember the things I taught you when I was there? Look at this one here about being uh, joined to a, a, a harlot or a prostitute. Surely in Corinth where prostitution was, was huge and was part of their worship of the idols, surely he would have taught on that once in 18 months, if not every other week. And so they're without excuse, and yet, what did they come away with? They came away with, all things are lawful. They remembered his teaching about freedom from the duty to follow the Old Testament law, and they remembered the freedom from the rules made up by false teachers when he said things like this, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? You know, if you just stop right there, it sounds like there's no rules. The regulations of don't touch, don't taste. He's talking about the rules made up by legalists in the church, which all concern things that perish with the using according to the common commandments and Doctrines of men, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but they're of no value. They would have heard teaching like this, and their takeaway was, we can do anything we want. We can do anything we want. We're not under the regulation of the Old Testament law. We're not under the regulation of these false teachers who are making up rules. The Apostle Paul said, we're free that's what I would call selective listening. If you selectively listen to anybody talk, you can make up great stories. That's what happens, certainly, when, when we watch an interview from a media person to a, a politician or a celebrity. They cut that together to make it sound a certain way. When we hear the raw footage, it may sound completely different. That's what these people did when Paul was teaching. And Paul even warned Timothy about this very kind of selective listening later when he wrote 2 Timothy 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all patience and teaching for 
Here's the problem that's going to happen. The time will come when they will not endure real sound doctrine or the full content of Scripture, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It's as though the truth is being spoken over here, and over here the fables are being spoken, and as the truth is spoken, they go, la, 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 la. Oh, that sounds good, that sounds good, that sounds good. It is selective listening. It's what goes on in our world still today. We could give examples from the church world. But the scripture lends itself to selective listening if you're not going to be a thorough student of the word. You see, the real problem is this with the Corinthians. The Corinthian Christians were living in sin and using the scripture to validate their behavior. The Apostle Paul, remember the sin that he started with in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? There's somebody in your church who's having a sexual relationship with his father's ex-wife. And you in the church have not rebuked them. Remember that? Somehow they were going, all things are lawful. You think, how in the world can they do that? They do it by selective listening to the scripture. They said, the Apostle Paul said, we're free. There's scripture like this that gets misused for years and years. It's still being misused today. This was a promise God gave to the Jewish people in the Old Testament in that early time frame. They're getting ready to come up toward the land, and, and this is his promise. It will come to pass, because you listen to these judgments and keep them and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land and the grain and the new wine and your oil and the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give you. You will be blessed above all people. There will not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt which you have known, but lay them on those who hate you. If you just follow the Lord closely enough, you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Have you heard that anywhere lately? Now, was this a valid promise that God gave to his people? Absolutely. Did he mean it? Absolutely. Did it work? Absolutely. But even in that, we have the examples of of people in the Old Testament time that God allowed to be tested and tried and so on. Does this promise belong to us today? Well, in order to grab these verses and stand before you today and to say, if you're not healthy and wealthy, it's because you don't have enough faith. If I'm gonna do that, I have to ignore these verses. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That doesn't sound like what I just read in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy sounded like it's going to be smooth sailing all the way. Or God says, hey, there's going to be some difficulty. It doesn't sound like this either. The Apostle Paul, his own testimony. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. 
concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I guess Paul just didn't have enough faith. He was, a, he was an inadequate believer, right? Wrong. That's right. That promise from the Old Testament is not for us. It's part of what went away when God moved from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. We understand that it was absolutely valid and real for the people of Israel. And yet we understand that God has something different for us today. Here's another one when we talk about God wants you to all be wealthy. Jesus looked at this rich man and said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me, take up your cross. Does that sound like I'm going to make you rich if you obey me? Or does that sound like I want you to be poor and follow me? Wow. My point is this. You can selectively listen to God's word and come up with all of the false religions that have ever existed. Another area where this selective listening is rampant today is in the area of sexuality, in particular homosexuality. They look at a verse like this, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And they close their Bible, boom. God is love. Are you telling me that I'm not right the way I am in my homosexuality? Because God loves me. See that? He loves me just the way I am. I don't have to change one bit. <laughs> and in this passage, we've been studying 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse, um, we, we, we studied this last week a little bit. The unrighteous, God calls these kinds of sins unrighteousness fornication or immorality, adultery, homosexuality, sodomy, thievery, covetous. And he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. Yes, does God love those who have uh, enslaving sexual sin? Yes, he does. He loves them so much that he said, my son is gonna die for you that his, and his blood can be applied to your life and your sin can be forgiven and you will be free. That's the freedom that we're offered. But if you want to selectively listen to the scriptures, you can come up with just about anything you like. That's why this was Paul's plan of preaching, and this is why I know the Corinthians were not without fault. I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. This was what something he said to the people in Ephesus where he also spent a good deal of time. His teaching plan was the whole counsel of God. Now, I'm, I'm not under the, uh, the foolish assumption that he could teach in depth the whole Bible in 18 months. But I am under the assumption that he could, he could uh, get the, 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 the major points and the significant truth and go in depth on those things that were most important in 18 months. That's why today we have an opportunity with God's word and that opportunity is this, God's word is the source of our freedom. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. You may wonder where this idea of freedom is coming from. The Corinthians were saying, all things are lawful for me. And the apostle Paul was saying, not everything is helpful and 
I will not be brought under the power of any. Next week, we'll look in much more detail at, at the enslaving nature of sin and how we're free in Christ. But the key thing that I want you to understand is the Corinthians were bound up in sin because they had not been making themselves available to God's truth. They were selectively listening to God's truth because they had sin. We, we all, uh, maybe I'm gonna overgeneralize, we all start that way as Christians. We have sin and we think, oh, I can't let go of this sin. This sin is just so good. This sin is, I, I have to have this. And some brother or sister comes along and says, that's not right. And so you, if you're desperate enough, you open the Bible and say, I can prove to you why it's okay. And that's what these people were doing. And yet they weren't free. God's word is the source of our freedom. God's word is where the liberation from the enslavement of sin comes. Jesus said this to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, if you stay in my word, if you live in my word, that's what it means to be my disciple indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. If you enjoy a good spy show like me, you know that those words are engraved onto what American office building? The CIA headquarters, that great bastion of absolute truth. <laughs> and other ideas. That phrase gets used a lot in the secular world. It's one of the phrases of the Bible they like. But that phrase uttered by Christ is not just about facts in general. It's about the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Only salvation in Christ, as conveyed in God's word, can free us from the burden of guilt over our sins. Only salvation in Christ, as conveyed in God's word, can free us from the fear of death. Only salvation in Christ as conveyed in God's word can free us from destructive life habits. Only salvation in Christ as conveyed in God's word can free us from the anxieties of daily living. The word of God conveys the power of God. God in heaven has chosen to, to mediate his ministry through the word of God and through his people. God could speak directly from heaven, but he's chosen not to do that. He has spoken right here. And God's word is where we get our freedom from as we un understand the word, hear the word, believe the word, live the word, we become free. That's why, that's why God's word requires our studious effort. God's word requires our studious effort from 2 Timothy 2, the key verse for Awana, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now when we read that little phrase out of the King James and the New King James, rightly dividing, that sounds almost like you're going to take this and kind of separate it into good parts and bad parts or whatever. The actual word means to cut a straight line. To cut a straight line. 
to rightly divide. And it's a reference from carpentry or masonry or the building trades. It means, in, in the way it's used, it means to be a craftsman. To be a craftsman. I, uh, I have a lot of tools. I have them all hung up in my garage. Have the have a box over here that is primarily the mechanical tools for working on the car. I have a, a box that's carpentry tools that I take with me where I go somewhere. Got tools hanging up there, tools hanging up there. Got power tools on the shelf. Got the big saw. Got all these other things. But I am telling you, I am not a craftsman. I look like a craftsman. If you can't be one, at least look like one. Talk like one. Talk about that rabbit cut, you know. Talk about that dovetail. I can't do one, but I know what it is. And believe me, I spent a fair amount of money on this table saw because it will cut a straight line. The old one wouldn't. But in this day, do you know what it meant to cut a straight line? It meant to pick up the saw in your hand and cut a straight line. I have those kind of saws. I can't do it. You know, I can start straight, and it always kind of leans over one way or the other, and then we've got to go back. I can't, I can't imagine the craftsmanship that some of these men had when they would cut boards, or, or how in the world would they cut a big piece of stone and make these huge buildings, and you look at those stones, and they're square and level and, and true, and you think, my goodness, that's what God is talking about with the word of God. He says, you need to be a craftsman with the word of God, not a hacker, not a wannabe, not a weekend warrior. Here's an example of some people who were, who were at least on the way to being craftsmen. Then the brethren sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness, no selective listening, and they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. When the word was taught, they said, yes, that's God's word, but there's part of it I don't understand, so they got in and worked and searched and looked to find out what they didn't know of God's liberating truth. That's the wonderful thing about God's word is it liberates us. I've been in a fair number of jails. I haven't been in this one. I suspect that might even be a picture of, uh, of uh, what's that jail? Barb, where are you at? Are you here? You don't know? Okay. That looks, that looks a little bit from the movies that I've seen, like uh, the place down in San Francisco, Alcatraz. I haven't been there. I'd like to go there someday. But I've been in a few jails. And I tell you, there's nothing creepier than when that door closes behind you. Jail doors, if you've ever heard anybody slam a door like in a building like this, that is nothing like a jail door. Because it's metal and it's heavy and it goes kawak. And you think, man, if this place catches on fire, I don't get to open the door and run out. I gotta wait for some guy to come and unlock it. That, you know, I'm not normally claustrophobic, but I get a little that way in the jail. And you go in maybe a little farther and you're in where the inmates are or whatever and I think, yeah, I'm not that excited about this. 
I'm glad I've never been in a jail for the reason that most people are in jail. It is, it, there is, um, I understand why it's a punishment. The only way you get out is when somebody brings the key, turns the lock, lets you loose. Folks, this is the key to freedom. Freedom is not found by the removal of all restraint. Freedom is found by living in the realm of God's truth and obedience to what he's told us. Heavenly Father, we confess there have been times when we pursue freedom on our own, in our own way. We've tried to remove restraints that we shouldn't have removed. We want to pursue the freedom that you've given us in your word alone. <sighs> Father, if there's anybody here today who's, who's enslaved, they're stuck in their sin, they've never come to Christ, Father, liberate them today. Cause them to understand that Christ is the answer and that your word is the way to know that answer. Father, speak to us today. I pray in Christ's name, amen.